2133 University Avenue in Berkeley, November 5th and 6th, at the grand opening of Modern Uganda, a collection of over 100 paintings and prints from Uganda's best-known artists. Proceeds from the sales of these surprisingly affordable artworks will benefit Kisa Foundation USA, which provides art therapy for HIV-AIDS patients and free art workshops for orphans and street children. Berkeley Arts Festival Gallery, 2133 University Avenue, Saturday, November 5th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sunday, November 6th, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. For details, call 510-922-0038. This event is wheelchair accessible. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is a minute past 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is November the 1st, 2016. That election looms over us. Next Tuesday, it's the real thing, folks. Oh, for a muse of fire. Or a bawdy joke to take the pain away. It's not nice to terrify old folks like me. We can't cope with all this dread and and shame. The shame is all about the ways in which we have let this happen. Uh, I was born in 1933. Remember that year? 1933. Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. The Weimar Republic. Ah, lost, crashed down. I... I don't remember all of that stuff, but surely my generation knows, uh, well, at least they understand uh, the horrors of tyranny. Uh, It can happen here. Oh, sure it is. It is, in fact, happening all around the globe, here and there. Ah, the strange fact is that so many folks recognize this struggle, the struggle to create democratic states, uh, wise institutions, environmental protections, human rights, all the good stuff. Everybody knows what to do. It's just, what is that? Somebody said, the question is, if we do the right thing, we'll be 
Will we be elected later? Right. Will we uh, get through the next election? I I think most people, even politicians, they even see the causes. You know, the greed and fear that traps so many of us in poverty and ignorance. Uh, Charles Dickens, old Victorian hypocrite Charlie Dickens, he uh, told us that uh, the two evils, the two great evils, uh, were poverty and ignorance. And he personified uh, poverty and ignorance as little children, two little children trying to hide inside the robes of Father Christmas. I think it was Christmas present, maybe Christmas yet to come, I don't know. In any case, in the illustrations I've seen in old books, poverty is a frail little girl. She has those eyes that plead for help. Ignorance is a little boy, both arrogant and innocent. Surely ignorance is going away. Surely we have this information explosion... Why doesn't the world change just as soon as it learns the truth? I mean, someone said that equality of opportunity can't exist without equality of condition. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. How can anyone, least of all children, solve problems as long as they themselves are the problem? Let's see. I have a lot of examples here. There's one about... Children and obesity, it's oh, it's too complicated. But on the way to the radio station today, a friend of mine who is kind enough to drive me down here every Tuesday, uh, she found an interesting thing. Uh, she found an essay that I've been looking for, written by Hillary Rodham Clinton. 1969 student commencement speech. Got that? And Hillary talks about the goal of education. <laughs> it's a picture of her with those big glasses, you know. Her hair all scooped up in a big, big uh, bun in the back there. Dear, dear Hillary. Anyway, for the first time, a student was asked to speak at commencement. It was a New Deal. Nobody had ever done that before. And uh, (laughs) Hillary said that uh, liberation, right, liberation is what education is all about. Human liberation. I think that's fascinating. Uh, she, She says in her speech, she says, we arrived at Wellesley, and we found, as all of us have found, that there was a gap between expectation and realities. It wasn't a discouraging gap, and it did not turn us into cynical, bitter old women at the age of 18. It just inspired us to do something about that gap. Oh, I love this. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh this is this is cute. There's an introduction. She's introduced by, uh, um, <laughs> I think, the president of Wellesley College. Let's see. Mm-hmm. The introduction 
in the introduction, it says here that Hillary Clinton is a major in political science and a candidate for the degree with honors. In four years, she has combined academic ability with active service to the college. And they go on and on about all her achievements and seems to have been president of just about everything, uh, presiding officer of college senate. And she is also cheerful, good-humored, good company, and a good friend to all of us. And it is a great pleasure to present to this audience Miss Hillary Clinton. <laughs> There's a couple pages here. If I'm on again next Tuesday, I kind of doubt that because of the election. I think I'll read you some more of this because it's just wonderful to to think how uh, how sweet she was back in the day. Uh, yet she says, oh, I love this. It's almost as though my mother, well, sh- mother used to say, you know, I'll always love you. But there are times when I certainly won't like you. And she's talking about well, Wellesley and how, um, you know, people there, uh, well, you know, she's talking about authenticity and, and about trust. And uh, I think that's fascinating because my impression, I was going to talk about that today, is that people don't trust Hillary. They keep saying that. Why? Why do they say that? Anyway, uh, she says that uh, people came up to her when she was, you know, when she was talking about, when she was rehearsing her speech. uh, And she said, I asked the class at our rehearsal, what was it they wanted me to say to them? And everyone said, talk about trust. Talk about the lack of trust, both for us and the way we feel about others. Talk about the trust bust. Ah, what can you say about it? What can you say about a feeling that permeates a generation and that perhaps is not even understood by those who are distrusted? She goes on to write or to speak, she says. All we can do is keep trying again and again and again. There's that wonderful line in T.S. Eliot's East Coker about there's only the trying again and again and again to win again what we've lost before. (laughs) I always think myself of Beckett. Yes, Samuel Beckett. He always says, yes, try, try again, you know. Uh, uh And, you know, fail again. Yes, try again, fail again, fail better. That's it. There's a lot of uh, stuff here. A couple paragraphs about respect and respect for each other. And at the end, there's a terrific poem. I hope I have time to read this. Okay, yes. I want to study it a little bit first because it's written by a friend of Hillary's. And I don't like to read uh, poems cold. I like to study them a little bit because they may be, you know, they may have subtleties that I would miss uh, Anyway, never mind all that. Never mind that. Uh, I just worry because we still distrust Hillary. That is to say, uh, it's generic, you know, this business of distrusting women. 
Got a lot of this from men, you know. Both genders, though, seem to believe that a woman, well, you know, they just they just think she must be keeping something from us. <laughs> Doubtless she is. Hillary Clinton would not have survived if she had, you know, said everything she felt. I do not think that she ever lied. Uh, but here in America, ah, uh, we seem to want a tough guy. A tough guy for our president. We want an all-American, a heroic warrior. Uh, it's in our American DNA. Ever since we came and saw and wiped out all the indigenous peoples who lived on this continent. Okay, that was then. This is now. Many uh, indigenous people did survive, of course, and they have a great deal to tell us. Uh, and they're still fighting to protect the land, of course. You know, um, the indigenous environmental network is struggling to resist that pipeline. Oh, that's where Amy Goodman was hassled. And <laughs> always, always, this push-pull, this struggle continues century after century. Uh it's kind of guerrilla warfare now. Uh, today, the establishment seems to feel justified in uh, attacking. I was going to say turning on protesters, but I think it's attacking uh, with military weapons. You know, these are civilians, little old ladies. Anyway, the U.S. military seems happy to sell the local cops, the homeboys, you know, all their leftover stuff. Weapons designed for combat in the field, you know. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh because they're deadly, those weapons. Uh, they're used by these tax squads, you know. Uh, so, so theatrical, all these guys smashing down the doors, uh, you know, trying to find some old lady whose uh, little nephew has left some pot on the uh, on the table. You know how it is. Uh, that happens at four o'clock in the morning sometimes, those assault. Uh, and usually just for pot or, or cocaine. Uh, the uh, uh, the technique, I was going to say the drill, but the technique of these cops or uh, the people who are out to put uh, people of color back into the state in which they <laughs> in which they came to this country that is uh, captives now of course uh, the plantation is prison anyway they just leave some cannabis around and then they arrest anyone in sight take away their property that's pretty stiff you know even before even before they're convicted of crimes uh, the police take cars and computers, and uh, it's too much to keep track of all this stuff, you know. People go to get them back, and even if they're uh, acquitted, you know. There's a movie, check it out, I just don't really have time to review it, but there's a movie that does a wonderful illustration of this. Um, it's based on a case, yes, it's a true case. Happened in Melody, Texas. It's a young black mother of four. And somehow 
she's one of a list of targets. Uh, uh, it's kind of an inside story how she got there. Someone, someone was up to get her. Uh, a personal enemy. Anyway, one informant that is a single individual, uh, a mental patient who was forced to do the DA's bidding, uh, he is the one who sets in motion this sting operation. You know, he gives them a list. He gives the cops a list of people he thinks might have drugs. Uh, now, all this is just too violent. I mean, I can't just can't imagine how it happened. The movie, of course, uh, is right on target. Alfred Woodard plays the the grandmother, the mother of the young woman. Uh, and uh, the ACLU comes to the rescue. And this particular case did, did set things in motion, uh, set a precedent. Now, the law, at least, at minimum, uh, has to have more than one informant accusing any person who they say might be dealing in drugs. Just one accusation is enough to get you thrown in jail. Uh, now, the true horror of these operations is the fact that 80 to 90 percent of the accused go for a plea bargain. You know, they pay a few fines and stuff. Uh, but they do this in order to escape these long jail terms that they could get for possession. Anyway, the young woman in this film is locked up for 21 days away from her kids, and she thinks that's pretty awful. Uh, that happens before any action is taken. I'm thinking South Africa in the old days. If she decides not to go for a plea bargain, she faces uh, a trial and all those years in prison and the DA already has the trial rigged, he knows the judge blah blah those who do enter a plea, a guilty plea of course they become convicted felons now they may get off, they may be able to go home but they are convicted felons, it's on the record forever and they lose their citizenship rights, the right to vote it's putting them back into the age before Jim Crow right uh, all the things that a young single mother needs go by the board, like food stamps and uh, medical care, all the public resources she's entitled to, even a job. She can't even get a job. We see her rejected for several jobs. And then when she does get a minimum wage, no tips, little waitress job, the district attorney sees to it, she's fired. Now, the movie tries to show the courage of people who are, uh, what is it, behind the, behind the eight ball. Alfre Woodard always comes out a hero. Love that actress. Uh, the young woman is proud to have been a test case. I don't know how the, the real person actually uh, dealt with it, but the kicker, the kicker is that this same district attorney, the guy in the film, in the uh, movie, in real life down there in Melody, Texas, this guy was reelected the next election he got in again. Now, that tells you something about the community in which all this happened. The film is called American Violet. Uh, highly recommended. American Violet. Uh, I don't know what 
that title means. I looked at it and I thought, what, African violet? What are they trying to say? Uh, anyway, we know that the movies are useful. For some folks, especially young folks, films may be the only liberal education they get. Uh, it's a J. Edgar Hoover movie I saw the other day. Some of the kids I know were shocked to find out what uh, Hoover was all about. J. Edgar Hoover. Job for life. Anyway, uh, this week I watched all the old movies just 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 to try and remember. Uh, watched The Last Hurrah and uh, The Best Man. I like that one. You know, The Best Man is not an intellectual and it's not a thug. It's a kind of an in-between character. And that's the surprise in the movie. Uh, the Last Moment. The uh, intellectual, the thoughtful man, uh, Henry Fonda, <coughs> he picks a man who is, what is it, something something in between. Uh, I don't know what to call him, someone bland. Anyway, today we have all these portraits of Americans who are trying to do the right thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, in the old movies, all the characters are male. They're men. It is a man's world. It certainly was, anyway. It's men's politics. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> the men are so interesting. I saw a note the other day. I think I found it in the New Yorker. God bless the New Yorker magazine. Barack Obama's mother and Tim Kaine's mother. Tim Kaine is Hillary Clinton's vice presidential uh, pick, you know. Tim Kaine and Barack Obama had mothers, both mothers, were raised in Kansas in a little town called El Dorado. The two moms grew up there. Now, how's that for a connection? <laughs> El Dorado, Kansas. Of course, Barack's mother moved to Hawaii, you know. Uh, in any case, I watched Chillery last night, and I remembered how she said she wanted to be, uh, you know, like the Roosevelts, like FDR or Eleanor. Uh, uh, yes, she's probably a New Deal Democrat, for what it's worth. Of course, she made mistakes. I mean... Franklin Delano Roosevelt put Japanese Americans, American citizens, he put them in internment camps during World War II. Donald Trump uh, has refused to uh, unconditionally, uh, what do you call that, uh, unconditionally condemn that action. <laughs> anyway, at the time, Franklin Roosevelt thought he was making the nation safe. That was his security, his security operation. Uh, I guess that's still going on. Now, Mrs. Roosevelt, Eleanor, she was very angry with Franklin when he uh, dispatched the Japanese families to those camps. Uh, many of the families lost their homes their property, their businesses, uh, their relationships in their communities. They were, after all, Americans first, you know. Uh, 
Eleanor Roosevelt had the privilege, the luxury of being up front, you know, with her compassion, her liberality, and her social activism. She was a sort of saint, you know, she brought home to dinner the miners and the factory workers and all, all those folks. She knew about the responsibilities of the rich, noblesse oblige. She was also able to learn, you know, to grow, to expand her ideas. Social progress uh, was her serious intent. She meant it. When FDR cut the wages for the workers there at the White House, you know, to be uh, to be on the uh, same on the same percentage as the other folks in the depression, he said, "Yes, cut twenty percent of all the people working here at the White House." A woman who worked in the kitchen went to Eleanor and explained that a cut like that would leave her with so little money she would not even be able to get to work. Even the bus cost something. Eleanor Roosevelt got the picture. The very poor can't go any lower on the wage scale. Now, folks at the bottom, you know, they just can't survive when things are done uh, abstractly or by the percentage. Uh, 20% for the rich, well, I don't think that's enough. Uh, remember Bob Hope used to complain that 80% of his uh, income went to the government. Sounds about right. Uh, I think that the tax tables are where democracy begins. I call that economic democracy. Uh, the other folks call it socialism. Now, if you talk to friends about Hillary, I, I have any number of friends who think that Hillary Clinton is the Antichrist. Uh, now, I think that even those people understand that their vote, this vote to next Tuesday, is a no-brainer. Uh, I, I would recommend that they check out the New Yorker's Talk of the Town, the October 31st issue. Now, it's uh, all the editors of the New Yorker's wrote up their opinion about what's happening. And uh, uh, I guess that means that most of it is by David Remnick, uh, the executive executive uh, editor of The New Yorker. Uh, I love The New Yorker. I just can't be jaded about that magazine, and I think it's because of the humor. Uh, it won me over years ago. They are not, they are not uh, afraid of the worst stuff either. And they will make make fun of it. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, people will argue about their taste. Remember the issue that had Barack and Michelle on the uh, cover as Islamic terrorists. Some people thought that that was not so funny. Uh, but David Remnick, the editor, has said, quote, There is no pain... We will not publish. I love that. Anyway, uh, there is something, something there always to point out the absurdity, the absolute absurdity of our society, the human comedy that surrounds us. And, you know, there's really not much that's funny about us, but 
uh, it is a comedy. That is, our civil strife is no joke. The gravitas with which this election deals is hard for me to deal with. I have several paragraphs here that I was going to read you from Talk of the Town describing Mr. Trump saying that he is not a worthy opponent for our good, uh, our good Hillary Clinton. Uh, no use pleading that Hillary Rodham Clinton has worked her whole life as a public servant. Uh-huh. And that politics is the art of the possible. Yes, and she knows that you can't get anything done unless you win. Next Tuesday, I may have time to talk about this some more. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Till next week, go easy. And if you can't go easy, for God's sake, vote. Back by popular demand, Argentina's premier tango orchestra, Orquesta Victoria, returns to the Bay Area to present their new album, El Mundo is the World. Join us on November 9th through the 17th in San Francisco, Berkeley, Napa, Pittsburgh, San Jose, and Salinas. Tickets at VillaCrespoProductions.com. Experience the vibrant dynamism and sheer elegance of tango through the interpretation of tango classics and new compositions by San Francisco composer Deborah Sinkovich. The orchestra will be joined on stage by dancers Andrea Monti and Adrian Durso, as well as singer Mariana Quinteros. Don't miss Orquesta Victoria de Tango on tour November 9th through the 17th. Tickets at VillaCrespoProductions.com. Proceeds will benefit Mission Cultural Center for Latino.